Hi, I'm the Contract Tutor, and welcome back to Basic Contract Law for Students. This episode, we're discussing the Parole Evidence Rule. The Parole Evidence Rule is under both Common Law and UCC. Now, this is a rule of contract, not a rule of evidence. The word parole is French, meaning oral. This rule applies to prior or contemporaneous agreements, which means that this governs agreements that happened before you memorialized the contract in writing or at the time of contracting. So, for example, as Paul and Ringo were signing the contract, Paul agreed to move the ugly duck statue in the front yard before Ringo moved in. So because this happened as Paul and Ringo were signing the contract, it's a contemporaneous agreement and the parole evidence rule will probably apply. Now I'm going to say what the parole evidence rule's purpose is and what it does, and then we'll break it down. So the parole evidence rule bars or prohibits the introduction of oral or written evidence that contradicts or varies the unambiguous terms of an integrated agreement. So first, it's saying that it's going to bar or prohibit the introduction of some type of evidence. So that's going to be extrinsic evidence, which is evidence that is not within the four corners of the contract. Next, it says it's going to prohibit that evidence that's oral or written. So even though parole in French means oral, it still governs written things as well. I also mentioned that it can't contradict or vary the unambiguous terms of an integrated agreement. So there's two types of integration. First, there's full integration. If a contract is fully integrated, then extrinsic evidence cannot contradict or supplement. So fully integrated means basically that this is the final contract. So it could include a merger clause such as, this document is a final expression of the agreement and is a complete statement of the terms. That statement basically is saying that it's the final agreement. So there's two tests to determine if it is fully integrated. First, there's the Williston test, which I see much more frequently. This test asks whether similarly situated parties would naturally and ordinarily include the extrinsic matter in the writing. And this sounds a lot like the collateral agreements, which we'll get into in a minute. The second test is the Masterson test, which looks at the circumstances at the time of writing the contract and whether the parties intended for it to be the final agreement. Now, with partially integrated contracts, You cannot contradict, once again, just like the fully integrated contracts, but you can supplement. So with fully integrated, cannot contradict, cannot supplement. With partially integrated, cannot contradict, can supplement. So partially integrated means that the parties fully agreed and finalized part of the contract, but some other things are not as concrete. Now, there are eight situations where the parole evidence rule doesn't apply. You could think of these as exceptions if you'd like, if that makes it easier. But the question I always ask myself is, what does the PER not bar? First is collateral agreements. Similar to the Williston test, these are agreements that similarly situated parties would not ordinarily include in the integrated documents. So basically, parties in our shoes wouldn't necessarily include these terms when writing the agreement. 
So if you prove that, you'll be able to submit your extrinsic evidence. For example, in a famous case, there was a man purchasing a home. When the contract was being signed, so contemporaneous agreement, right? The buyer told the seller that he wanted the ugly ice house across the street removed. The seller said he would remove it. As long as the buyer can prove that other people wouldn't normally put the seller needs to remove the ice house in the contract, then the buyer can submit evidence that the seller did in fact make that promise. Second is conditions precedent. And this is especially important for next semester, so learn this and learn it well. Condition precedent is an event that must happen before the contract will have come into effect. So the agreement never came into force because the condition wasn't satisfied. So that means that the agreement is not being contradicted. However, the evidence of the condition precedent may not contradict the express language of the written contract. For example, Elise loves to play the piano. She looks for a larger apartment, and her friend Trey offers to sell her his piano. Elise says that she will buy the piano as long as she's approved for a larger apartment. So there's our condition precedent. Trey says that's fine, but that they should sign a contract now so that they don't have to worry about it later. So they sign a contract. Elise is not approved for the apartment. Now Trey wants Elise to buy the piano, and he sues her. Because Elise was not approved for the apartment, which was the condition precedent, her written agreement with Trey will not have ever come into effect, and thus Elise will win the lawsuit. Third is ambiguity. One will always be allowed to submit extrinsic evidence when the terms are ambiguous. Ambiguous means that there's more than one meaning. There's a case I read last year where a term was not considered ambiguous. So in White City Shopping Center versus PR Restaurants. A sandwich shop signs a contract with a mall that the mall will not allow other sandwich shops or sandwich items to be on the menus of other businesses in the mall. Then a Mexican restaurant moves into the mall and the sandwich shop sues the mall, saying that burritos are a type of sandwich. The court looks at the plain meaning of the word sandwich and determines that a burrito is not a sandwich. So this is a good spot to mention there are different approaches to interpretation of contracts. First, courts usually look at the plain meaning. This simply means that we're going to interpret the word or the term as how most people would use it. So we're going to just look it up in the dictionary. This is most frequently used when it's ambiguous. Next, if it's ambiguous, then the judge can consult contextual evidence such as parole evidence, extrinsic evidence. That's going to be our second type, is the contextual approach. Also, in a parole evidence context, handwriting is more convincing. The fourth situation in which the parole evidence rule is not going to apply is with reformation. This is where something happened where a term was incorrectly incorporated into the written document. So instead of saying, I'm going to sell this to you for $100,000, we only say $100. So the remedy is to reform, so rewrite the contract. Fifth is formation defects like illegality, duress, mistake, unconscionability, and fraud. 
and all of those will be covered next semester. Six is modification. The parole evidence rule does not apply to modifications. This is because the parole evidence rule only applies to prior and contemporaneous agreements, right? And modifying something means that we are going to change it later. So it's not going to apply to later modifications. But be careful with this because there could be a no oral modification clause in the contract. So while the parole evidence rule generally does not apply to subsequent agreements or modifications, then the inclusion of a no oral modification clause may bar the introduction of such evidence. So if there is a no oral modifications clause in the integrated document, then the parole evidence rule will bar that evidence. Seventh is course of performance, course of dealing, and usage of trade. Integrated and unintegrated agreements are to be read in light of the circumstances and may be explained or supplemented by the operative usage of trade and courses of performance or dealing. So what are the courses of performance, courses of dealing, and usage of trade? These are in the hierarchy of interpretation. So first in the hierarchy is express terms. If there are express terms in the contract, we're going to go by those first. But if there aren't express terms, then we'll go by course of performance. So that is second in the hierarchy. Course of performance is how are we performing this contract? So this contract should trump how we've performed in the past. Third is course of dealing, which is how the parties performed in the past. So for example, say there's a donut shop and a school, and the school orders 100 donuts every weekend. But this new contract, they've only ordered 58. So we're going to go by this contract, the 58, and it's going to trump whatever happened in our last contracts with the 100. Fourth is usage of trade which is how other parties in the same place, vocation, occupation, or trade regularly expect this type of transaction to be performed. So this is saying, let's see how other parties are doing it because maybe this is the first time you and I are contracting so we don't have any course of dealing and then no express terms. So we're going to have to see how other donut companies and schools do it. So once again, course of performing, course of dealing, and usage of trade are going to be an exception or just not apply. The PER, the Pearl Evidence Rule, doesn't apply in these. Eighth is consideration. If there's no consideration, there's no contract, right? That's what we've learned in previous episodes of this podcast. So the Pearl Evidence Rule wouldn't bar evidence to show that there is no contract. Lastly, I want to mention that condition subsequent is different from a condition precedent. Now, a condition subsequent is going to be subject to the parole evidence rule. A condition precedent is not. A condition subsequent is. So, for example, a condition subsequent would be I'll give you the job, but if you fail the bar exam, then I don't have to keep employing you. But if you fail the bar exam, that part is going to be our condition subsequent because it's subsequent, it's happening after we contracted. All right, quick run through of the parole evidence rule. 
This is under both common law and UCC. It's a rule of contract, not a rule of evidence. This rule applies to prior or contemporaneous agreements, fully integrated contracts, You cannot admit extrinsic evidence to contradict or supplement, but partially integrated, you cannot contradict, but can supplement. The parole evidence rule does not bar collateral agreements, conditions precedent, ambiguity, reformation, formation defects, modification, the course of performance, course of dealing, or usage of trade, and consideration. Also, conditions subsequent are subject to the parole evidence rule, whereas conditions precedent, as we said, are not. I'm the Contract Tutor, and thank you for listening to Basic Contract Law for Students.